hope, not just hope for when you die, but hope for today, for living your life now. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today, I pray you'll experience a sense of hope because Jesus is alive. Let's celebrate the greatest day in history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. Greatest day in history. Let us be the new have rescued me. Sing it out. Jesus is alive.
Amen. You can be seated. And happy Resurrection Day. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. And if you're new to our church, we hope you feel at home here. We'd love to get to know you, and one of the ways that we do that is through the guest registration card that's located right in front of you in the pew rack. If you could take that out and fill it out for us, and then after the service, just walk it over to the Welcome Center. It's out these double doors and to the left. You can drop it with someone there or put it in a black box. And then we have a small gift for you coming and being a part of our worship gathering this morning. It's just a small way that we can express our gratitude for you being here today. And as we continue to worship, we just want to take a moment to pray and uh, connect to God and, and just kind of set this time where we set our hearts to him, our minds' attention, and our hearts' affection. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. And God, on this day, the greatest day in history, the moment where everything changed, Father, uh, we want to praise you because you are worthy. We thank you for what the scriptures say, that you came, you lived, you died, you were buried, and you rose again. Father, we hold on to this hope. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' good name, amen. Will you stand and let's sing together? Christ the Lord is risen today.
And because he has risen, we will rise too.
name it is that you have. Oh Lord, we come before you this morning thanking you for your great sacrifice, the sacrifice of your blood on the cross, forgiving of your life that our sins may be forgiven, that we may have a hope for tomorrow. But Lord, we are more grateful that you did not stay on that cross, that you left that cross and rose again to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. Lord, I pray today that you'll open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today, O risen Savior, that we may be different than we came. To your glory and your glory alone, we sing, we praise, and we hear with our hearts open today in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. What great music as we've shared together celebrating Jesus' resurrection. Thank you guys for leading us. It's great to see you here today. So glad that you've come to celebrate this great occasion with us. I find that many people struggle with hopelessness. Hopelessness is the feeling that things are not going to get any better than they are. And some people struggle with hopelessness about their health. They just feel like it's never going to be better. Some people struggle with hopelessness about their financial situation in this time of spiraling inflation. Some people think, am I ever going to get ahead? And it's just a sense of hopelessness. Maybe you have hopelessness about a relationship that has ended or uh, your, your personal situation. That sense of hopelessness is reflected in the fact that suicide is higher than it's ever been in the state of Tennessee. A 20% increase in the suicide rate just over the last five years. Maybe there's even someone here today that you've reached that point of thinking about ending your life because... It's just hopeless. Is there any hope? Well, I want to share with you today the good news that regardless of your personal circumstances, that I can say to you there is hope, and that hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, let me explain it to you. I want to share it with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this book of the Bible that we call 1 Corinthians like several others, it's really a letter that Paul wrote. Paul founded the church at Corinth, and then sometime later when he was in Ephesus, some people came from Corinth to visit him there and told him about problems in the church that he had founded. And so he writes this letter to address those church problems or questions that they had. And there were a lot of them. This church had more problems than any that you could imagine. Let me just list some of them. This is just sort of the order Paul deals with them. This is what 1 Corinthians is about, leading up to where we are in chapter 15. He deals with this church had divisions based on personality. They had people suing one another. They were tolerating immorality in their midst. They uh, had women who were disrupting worship by asserting their freedom. They were fighting at their fellowship meals and couldn't uh, properly observe the Lord's Supper. Some of them were speaking in tongues and were proud of that gift and looked down upon others, and that was causing division. They were a mess! Now, I, tell, I say all that to t tell you, churches always have problems because they're made up of humans who are sinners and because the devil really wants to mess up churches. He doesn't like churches. And I say this to you because maybe some of you are not connected to a church. You're not involved in a church because you've experienced some problems. Somebody's failed you. Oh, you're here today because you came to see Mama, and we're so glad you came to see Mama and that you're here with us today. We're glad. But you're not really involved in or connected to or serving in a church, and you've been, you've, because you've seen problems. I just want to say to you, you've never seen a more dysfunctional church than the church at Corinth. And yet, 
Paul begins this letter by saying to the saints of God at Corinth. God still works through churches with all their infallibility. And if you're a Christ follower, you need to be connected to and involved in a local church. It's part of God's will for you. And despite its problems and its dysfunction, it's how God does his work. And it is the bride of Jesus Christ for whom he's coming. I just want to encourage you to think about where you are in relation to church. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you need to be in a church. Well, let's look at the last problem that they had. That's what he deals with in chapter 15. And we learn in verse 12, looking at the middle of the verse, that some of them said there's no resurrection of the dead. Middle of the verse, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's responding to this problem. There were people in the church at Corinth who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, how could they be in the church and not believe that? We're not sure, but here's how it might have been. The Greek culture of which they were a part believed that the body was bad, spirit was good, and your spirit would be released from your body when you die. So maybe they'd bought into the culture. You know it's very easy to buy into the beliefs of the culture rather than the Word of God? Did you know that? And so maybe they'd bought into the Greek culture and said, okay, when you die, your spirit leaves your body and goes to heaven, but that's all there is. There is no resurrection of the dead coming at the end of time where graves and cemeteries are literally going to be open. And maybe they had sort of spiritualized what the apostles teaching about the resurrection was that it was just a spiritual thing not a literal thing you know if you're baptized as a follower of Christ the Bible says that you're buried with him in baptism and you're raised to walk in new life there's a spiritual dimension that you are raised spiritually to new life when you come to Christ so maybe they said that's what it means by resurrection it doesn't mean a literal thing where cemeteries are going to open they just spiritualized it maybe that's what they were doing we're not sure but for some reason some of them were saying there's not really going to be at the end of time where graves open and people come up. And Paul is writing to answer that heresy, that that problem in the church. So follow his logic as we go from verse 12 forward, and you'll see what he says. But if it's preached that it is, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You follow his logic there? He's saying, you're saying, people don't rise. Well, if people don't rise, then that would include Jesus. That means Jesus hasn't risen. And then he goes on with that logic. If Jesus hasn't risen, here's the implications. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. There's no need for you to come to church and hear sermons if if Christ has not been raised. And so is your faith. Your faith is useless. It's useless to believe in Jesus, he said, if he has not been raised. Verse 15, more than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. We say we've seen him alive, and so we're liars if he hadn't been raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You're you're not saved. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. You're not going to see your loved ones again who have died. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Christianity is all in on the resurrection of Jesus. We're all in on that. And it's not like, well, if it's not true, we've still got a lot of good points about it, and you still ought to come to church. We're all in on the resurrection. If he hasn't been raised from the dead, forget it. Don't come to church. Don't believe. Life is hopeless. 
But Paul can stand this hypothetical argument no longer as he shared the implications of their belief. Now he turns to the truth in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Earlier in this chapter, Paul will list eyewitnesses. He'll list 13 by name, including a skeptic, Thomas, including two unbelievers, James, the brother of of Jesus, and Paul himself, and 513 are referenced. That's a lot of eyewitnesses. What if you were on jury duty, and you had a case to try, and they started bringing, they had an eyewitness come. Well, okay, an eyewitness. When they had two, then 10, then 20, then 50, then 100, then 200, then 400, then 500 eyewitnesses. By the end of that trial, when you say, okay, I get it, I get you've seen this, you know, this is overwhelming evidence, is it not? And he says Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So, what does that mean for us? I want to share with you today two implications of the resurrection that ought to give you hope, even if you're going through a tough time, regardless of your circumstances now. Here is why you can have hope because of this day. Number one, we have hope because Christ's resurrection is the promise and pattern of our own resurrection. His resurrection is the guarantee or the promise of our resurrection and the pattern of our resurrection. Look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let me tell you about that word, first fruits. It comes from Leviticus chapter 23. It was one of the festivals that God told Israel in the law that they were to observe under the Old Covenant. And first fruits was at the beginning of the barley harvest. And it said when you get the, the barley harvest first starts to come in, that first sheaf of grain. So like if you garden, you get your first tomato. You know how it is. You get that first tomato that comes in. That first sheaf of grain, you're to cut it, take it to the priest as a first fruits offering. And the priest is going to take that sheaf from the worshiper and wave it before the Lord saying, Thank you, God, for this first harvest, and thank you for all that is to come after it. That's what first fruits was. The the promise and pattern of that future harvest. Now, let me tell you, Jesus, first fruits was to take place on the day after the Sabbath after Passover. The day after the Sabbath following Passover was first fruits. That's Easter Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on the day after the Sabbath after Passover. He rose from the dead on first fruits festival. He is that first fruits, uh, Paul is saying here, of the dead. Jesus is that one who's been way before the Father saying, thank you for this resurrection. There's more to come and thank you for that as well. And so Jesus is the promise of our resurrection. It goes on in verse 21 to say, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So, the reason you have a sense of hopelessness is because you're connected to Adam. Adam and Eve were the first humans and they sinned and brought this curse upon us and you verified that in your own sin and we're all in a mess because of that. Because of your connection to one man, there's hopelessness. He says, if you'll get connected to one more man, you can have hope. 
If because you're in Adam, all die, but in Christ you can be made alive. So why don't you be connected to Jesus Christ by your personal faith in him, and you can have hope. You have hopelessness through one man. You can have hope by your connection with him. And it says in verse 24, but each in turn, you got to wait your turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So if you belong to Jesus... You've confessed him as Lord of your life, put your faith in him, you belong to him, and it is guaranteed that just as the first fruits has come, your resurrection will come. There is hope for us. There's a second reason that hope uh, that uh, we have hope because of Christ's resurrection, and that is we have hope because of Christ's resurrection is the first stage in God's plan to triumph over evil. The resurrection of Jesus sets in motion a chain of events that leads to God's triumph over evil. And this is the first part of his plan, and it's all connected. Let me show it to you in verse 24 and following. Then the end will come. That's a great phrase. The end will come. There's an end coming to hopelessness. There's an end coming to cancer. Isn't that good to know? There's an end coming to COVID and to war and to crime and to demons and to temptation and the devil. There's an end coming. We believe in a linear view of history. We do not believe, contra the Lion King, a circle of life where it just goes like a hamster on a wheel. And some of you feel like you're just a hamster on a wheel going around and around and you're not getting anywhere in your job. You're not getting anywhere in your life. The day after day, it's the same. And you got that feeling of hopelessness. And there are worldviews that believe that, that life is just one series of reincarnations and you hope for better karma that you can, can get off of that hamster wheel. That's not the biblical view. The biblical view is there was a point of beginning when God made it all and there is a point of climax, culmination, the end will come. A linear view of history. We came from somewhere and we're going somewhere and that gives us hope. The end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. That's talking of, of evil spirits, of demons, of, of all the bad stuff in our world. He'll destroy that. It says in verse 25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Isn't it good to know that everything's going to be under Jesus' feet? Some things are over my head. They're going to be under Jesus' feet. And it's a process going on. He's already risen from the dead, but he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So some people say uh, about Christians who believe in Easter, well, if you're so big on Jesus has defeated death, and he's been raised from the dead, then why are you Christians still dying? Why is there still death? Fair question. Let me explain it to you this way. 2018, there's a woman in Corpus Christi, Texas, named Jennifer Sutcliffe. She was working in her garden. She saw a rattlesnake while she was working in her garden. She screamed for her husband. Her husband came with a shovel, whacked it, and cut its head off. Killed the rattlesnake. Reached down to pick it up to dispose of it, and it bit him. The dead snake bit him. The severed head 
They, experts say a snake can bite you for several hours after its head has been severed because of a reflex action, and it put the full load of venom in here, perhaps because it didn't have a body, and it took 26 doses of antidote to save his life. This guy almost got killed by a dead snake. He got bit by a snake that was dead. They can still hurt you after they're dead. The devil has been defeated and death has been defeated, but he can still hurt people. He's dead. He just doesn't know it. He's like a dead snake that can still bite people. And Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. It is a process. The decisive blow has been struck. The head of the serpent has been cut off in the resurrection. But yes, we still experience the dangerous after effects of that demonic spirit. Death still takes place. But the end will come when he'll put all enemies under his feet. And he must reign until he's done that. And then it says... Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. I've told you before that I believe that all epic stories are a faint echo of the one true story. All epic movies are a faint echo of the one true story. I want to tell you about a movie that some of you have seen, a Marvel movie called Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame, Endgame. Now, Endgame is about a climactic battle between good and evil. And in this climactic battle between good and evil in the Endgame, good is not faring well. There are only a few superheroes left, and they are beleaguered, and it looks like evil will win. But then hope comes from heaven, and there is the resurrection of dead superheroes, and those who've been dead come back to life, and the tide turns, and the battle is being won, and then there's one last enemy, and his name is Thanos. And Thanos when he has the infinity stones in his glove, on his hand, can snap his fingers and people just turn to ash and blow away in the wind and they are dead and gone. And so at the end of this climactic battle, Thanos gets the glove with the infinity stones and he says, I am inevitable! And he snaps his fingers but nothing happens because, surprise, Iron Man has stolen the Infinity Stones out of his glove and put them into his own glove. And Iron Man says, I am Iron Man, and snaps his fingers. And Thanos turns to ash and drifts away in the wind. All epic stories are a faint echo of the one true story. And so in the real end game, there is going to be a climactic battle between good and evil. And it may appear that the forces of good are beleaguered and are not winning, but hope will come from heaven and there will be a resurrection of the dead and the tide will turn and the battle will be won and there will be one last enemy and his name is Thanatos, the Greek word for Thanatos, in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is Thanatos. Thanos gets his name from this word, and Thanatos, death, 
will seek to say, I am inevitable, and snap his fingers, but nothing will happen because, surprise, Jesus of Nazareth, the one true son of the living God, has stolen his power, has robbed his power, and Jesus of Nazareth will say, I am Lord, and snap his fingers, and Thanatos, death, will crumble into ash and will be blown away because the last enemy to be destroyed will be death. And Jesus will be Lord of all. That's why you live with hope. Your hope is not that maybe my finances will get better. Maybe somebody will like me and I'll be in a better relationship. Maybe my health can improve. I'll go to another doctor. Those are good things, but your hope is not in your stress being relieved. Your hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is the pattern and the promise of your resurrection and it is the first stage of a chain of events that has been set into motion that will lead to a triumph over evil and culminate in the death of death. This year is the 50th Easter anniversary of a song that was written in 1971, Because He Lives, written by Bill and Gloria Gaither in 1971. Bill and Gloria Gaither were expecting their baby, a son, Benji, and they were sort of fearful about the time into which he would be born. Because 1971, had some problems. I was in high school in 1971. 1971, the sexual revolution of the late 60s had upended most of the mores of, of Christian sexuality. 1971, a war in Vietnam, protests going on across the country. 1971, the integration was taking place. There were race riots. Uh, there was an embattled president named Richard Nixon. Inflation was rising. China was threatening. Russia, there was a Cold War going on with Russia. Does any of this sound familiar to you? And it looked like a fearful time. Should you, should you bring a, a child into that time? And what was, what was it going to be like for Benji as they gave birth to their son, Gloria Gaither wrote the second verse of this song before the first and third verses. The verse that says, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he brings. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. I'm saying to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives not only hope for dying, but hope for living. Some of you are having babies. Some of just in our church have just given birth. Others are on the way in a, in a few weeks or months, and it can seem like sort of an uncertain world to bring kids into today, and, and you wonder about the circumstances uh, of, of our world. What kind of a world are our kids and grandkids going to grow up in? And maybe you're fearful and, and, and hopeless. Listen, our hope, our hope it's not in a better economy. Our hope's not in a better president. Our hope's not in a better Supreme Court. Our hope's not in a, a better individual circumstances for our lives. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because He lives, we can face tomorrow. Whatever it may bring. Whatever your circumstances. Would you stand together?
We're going to sing this song that they first sang 50 years ago. It's no less true than today. And if Jesus lingers another 50 years, it'll be no less true then. Wherever you are and whatever your circumstances may be, there is an overriding possibility of hope in your life based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I want to invite you as we sing this song, you can walk forward and declare your faith in Jesus and come for baptism. You can join our church. You can meet me at the Welcome Center afterwards and do that as well. Right now you can come for prayer and uh, somebody will pray with you if you're feeling a sense of hopelessness, if you've thought about ending your own life. You can have a new beginning. If you belong to Jesus, put your faith in him. I invite you to do that today as we sing. God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus, He came to them, He left for me, He lived and died, to Savior, leave.
seated. Be seated for just a moment more, if you will. Thank you for coming and being here today. I want to share with you what's coming next. Next week, I'll begin a three-part sermon series entitled, How God Wants to Help You Make Good Decisions. Maybe you're facing some decisions in your life about career, or where to go to college, or marriage, or retirement, or wherever you are in life, and, and you wonder if there's any direction. Does God care about those things? Well, I want to share with you that God wants to invest in your life and to help you, and I'm going to share with you three specific ways that God wants to communicate with you and to help you in your decision-making. I invite you to come and be here the next three Sunday mornings as we share about that topic. I also want to invite you, if you're new to our church, a week from Wednesday on April the 27th begins a Wednesday night class that I lead for four weeks called Introductions. And it's an introduction to the beliefs and the staff and the ministry and mission and campus of First Baptist Church. So if you're new to Christianity, new to a Baptist church, or just new to First Baptist Church, four-week class, 6.30 to 7.15, four Wednesday nights, starting April the 27th. Not the 17th, that's what that says, but the 27th, a week from this Wednesday, uh, that class begins. I invite you to be a part of that. Daniel's going to come, share some more with you, and close us out. Again, thanks for being with us on this Resurrection Sunday. We're excited to celebrate with you. I want to remind you another way that you can, uh, another act of worship is through offering. And uh, in the back wall there, there are two uh, compartments so you can drop offerings in as you're on your way out. Also, uh, in the parlor, some of you may have seen it when you come in, uh, and some of you can help with the flowers. Uh, there we have a cross that we've uh, put flowers on. It's a great photo opportunity if you want to uh, go by there and have your picture made uh, there with the, the flowered cross. And uh, then uh, coming up next Sunday night, if you've enjoyed the music this morning, we're having a worship choir concert uh, with a full choir and soloists uh, sharing some music. Todd, do you have any words about that? It's been two years in the making. It's going to be good. Hey, so, and you can go get a CD. Actually, we made a CD. It's kind of interesting. Right before COVID, we finished the CD for this project so that we'd have it, you know, when we did the concert. Well, it's, it's ready. You can get them in the, in the bookstore. And go get, you know, go learn all the songs. And when you come back next Sunday night, you can sing along with us. So there, there you go. go. Well, again, thanks for being with us. And uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're a loving God that sent your son to die for our sins, to forgive us, but to conquer death and be raised again, God. And we thank you for that and praise you for that, God. So help us to live in the power and hope of your resurrection and help the love that you give us spill over to the love we have for others so they may see you and glorify you, God. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Oh, happy day, happy day.